Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series talking to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation. It can reframe the way we think, the information we go on to seek and the conversations we go on to have. This is all very much part of the change process. My guest today is Connor Buckley. Connor is the founder of Human Collective, a brand of sustainable clothing with a message of equality and a movement that includes education and workshops. As you'll hear, Connor was inspired by his mum, Christine, a changemaker herself who spoke out about institutional abuse and was a champion for victims and the vulnerable. Human Collective gives back to three charity partners, Sports Against Racism Ireland, LGBTQ Plus Ireland and the Irish Youth Foundation to support their work tackling inequality. We talk in this episode about how we all have bias, but now more than ever, we need to come together as a collective. We need to call in rather than call out injustice. I'll let Connor explain that one. And how it's okay to take small steps towards real and lasting change. Inclusion and diversity is what will empower. And it's important that we aren't passive in our pursuit of this, but true allies. Connor is literally a big ball of energy and love. His dedication to the work, but also to learning and evolving, is infectious. So, Connor Buckley, you are very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for having me on. So, I can see you there. You're sitting with human collective boxes and branding all behind you. So, you've come a long way from what was initially just an idea. Yeah. I wanted to do something that had a bit more of a purpose, Claire. I, my mother, Christine Buckley, was an activist and a campaigner, and she always talked about helping people. She had a real empathy towards, I guess, lost souls. Um, she could really spot a diamond in the rough in, in a way of she a lot. She set up a center um, for victims of institutional abuse in town. She would have, I guess, spearheaded a lot of. Um, a lot of the changes in terms of, uh, like the Taoiseach made a public apology in 1999, Bertie Ahern, to victims of institutional abuse, States of Fear, that uh, RT award-winning documentary, the Madeleine Laundries. She would have opened up the can of worms that, that, that basically let all these stories out, even the tune babies in a sense, um, where people started coming forward with their stories and, 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 she really was a bit of a, you know, your podcast is called Changemaker. She was a real changemaker. Um, and without talking about her for the entire thing, because what she did was incredible, she always in, talked about a purpose long before anyone was talking about a purpose. And I wanted to do something that made me, that gave me a real purpose, but also um, I wanted, I guess, our children to grow up feeling like, one of their parents had made a real difference. And tell me a bit about her as a as a mom then, and and your family life growing up. Yeah, so mom was in, for someone who never had parents, so she didn't meet her parents until she was forty one. She actually was the most loving person you could meet. So everyone she met, uh, she kind of gave them a big hug, and she she hugged us nonstop like she'd never see us again. So when we came home from school. You know, she'd answer the door and she'd hug you like she'd never see you again. And I mean, she'd hug you for five minutes. And I don't know where that came from because she was brought up in an orphanage where nuns never gave them hugs. Um, but she just had that in her and maybe it made, it, made her appreciate people even more. Um, she was really like, she was a really strong character. She didn't settle. If someone said something that was out of line, you talk about allyship. She was an incredible ally. Even last week, I met a lady who was who was in tears talking to me about her just on the street, and and I, and I thought, and I knew what she'd done. She didn't discuss with me, but I I remember my mum telling me, and it was, an, it was a 
it was a story that I, I can't discuss because it's, it's it's a very private matter. But she she just empathy where she helped people and um and it didn't matter all walks of life. So she helped people who were homeless get homes. She helped um people who had been oh, like been raped, who had been physically beaten up by parents, by siblings, by people in schools she just like the, her her work was incredible she helped people learn the alphabet who were, who were grown adults who didn't know how to write their name who, who didn't know the alphabet that didn't know they these hidden talents um such as musically um uh creatively and and they people have went on to have great careers so i think she was she was yeah she was such an inspirational person but ultimately she loved people and i definitely she always said that i was just like that even growing up and uh, and we wanted to do something that would help people. We didn't want to just talk to talk. We wanted to walk to walk. So with Human Collective Clothing, we give back to three different charities. We give back to LGBT Ireland, um, which provides 50 minutes free talk time on an LGBT helpline. We give back to SARI, which is Sports Against Racism Ireland. We did a, an amazing anti-discrimination workshop with them back in uh, November, and we're doing another event with them in September. And we give back to our Youth Foundation, which provides a hot meal for a disadvantaged child. And that was something that resonated with me even more so because my mum would have talked about, you know, she went out to a family in Inchicore and they gave her a hot meal every Sunday and how much that meant to her. So um, we felt like at least it was something tangible we were doing. So even if the business never worked, at least we uh, we felt like, you know, there was a purpose and we were trying to help people. And, and thankfully the business has taken off really well and we have been able to donate back to these charities and you're always a pains to bring in your dad and your your siblings as well because obviously your mom wouldn't have been able to do what she did without that foundation of, of you guys around her you had a very strong family um yeah it like sounds my, like yeah absolutely my dad is a bit of an unsung hero because he would have had to go through i mean you think of it at the time 1992 you're on the gay brown show you've literally talked about something that has never been spoken before about children and babies being abused in in, the, in care in the states states care and my dad's very conservative he's a cork man he's you know he's you know he's a he's an amazing supportive person but he would have he wouldn't have wanted the limelight whatsoever. You know, he wouldn't have wanted any attention. He would have been very protective of the family and been exposed to that. But my mum just had to do it. And he, he, I think like, even, even to be honest with you, dating probably a black woman in the seventies and eighties, he got some stick about that. He was telling me recently, you know? So I, in some ways I think he was such an incredible hero and he really supported my mum and they were a great team because he had a PR background. He was, he's a great writer. He still writes for the Irish independent. Um, and he was able to write and articulate a lot of my mum's thoughts on paper. Um, and I think that was a great combination. And again, he's very level-headed as well. Very good, very clear about getting a message across. So he would have really helped her on that, that side of things where she was very passionate. My sister still to this day, chatting to her yesterday morning and she's so empathetic um she just spends her time helping people and it's tough because she'll probably net like she you know in some ways she probably should be running my mum's center in some ways because of the fact that she's got this like absolute passion for my mum like she's still to this day writing to the nuns looking for photographs of my mum looking for information and they're trying to block her and they're using bringing in the big solicitors to try and scare her off and she's still fighting uh the, the kind of the good fight there just to try and find out more information about my mum she probably knows more information about my mum than my mum did so she's she's so caring and and then my brother and I are our best friends like we're very lucky to grow up together because you know when you're getting stick in school for maybe looking different or the color of your skin or whatever it was great to have someone who was a real ally beside you and um I really think I was so fortunate to have him as a, as a best friend as a brother I think life would be very different if he was if he wasn't around and would there have been discussions at the table about the work your mum was doing, about race, about empathy, or was it very much knitted into what you were seeing all the time with everyday life? So a lot of the, I remember she was going on a, a talk show and I said, oh my God, are you nervous? And she said, she looked at me and said, why would I be nervous? Sir? I'm just telling the truth. I'm just talking about what happened. Not at all. And that was like, I think it was Kenny live at the time in the nineties when Pat Kenny had the, the, that uh, Saturday night show. So she was never, she was so articulate and composed. And I was like, I, she'd get off the radio or she, and I, and sometimes she wouldn't tell us she was on these things either, you know? And 
so it was never it was never discussed hugely but what was discussed if you had said something like i remember one christmas she had lots of people over from um her her center and there's a lot of people in the house and i i think i went to i had a football match the next day and i was like oh mom why did everyone have to be here they're so noisy and blah 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 and she, and she'd and she'd be like they don't sorry claire take a moment take all the time you need She'd say they don't have a Christmas, Connor. They've never had Christmas. Because in the orphanage, they'd get given a Christmas present and it would get taken off them an hour later. So they get a, given a Christmas present for a photograph and it would get taken off them. And she'd say, and that made me think that when you, here was me saying, oh, why does everyone have to be in the house and it was so noisy? She'd say, Look, this is the only family they have. So, so whenever I think something negatively, I try and think, I try and think that, well, maybe there's a reason for that, the way that person's acting this way. We're trying to see an empathetic side to it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And like anyone, I'm only human. I get frustrated, I get angry, I get upset about things. But I try and hear. What's upsetting me now is, I can hear my mum's my voice saying that. And um, and she'd invite people over at Christmas dinner at times. And we'd be like, oh, why can't it just be the family or whatever it was? Or she'd invite people over to the house. But she was doing it to help them. So that was always something that, uh, that I'd hear. But a lot of the things, you know, she wouldn't tell you. You know, I've met people on the street in the city centre who've come up to me and said, oh, your mum saved my life and things like that. And you're like, wow, that is... I... So when I was walking in... Um, Georgia Street one day and this guy walked beside me and I was like why is this guy beside me and he grabbed my arm and said your mum saved my life and you're like, like that is so impactful you know that is so powerful and this is when she'd passed away actually so I couldn't even tell her this but there was those those times that you'd meet people that would say these lovely words to you and actually Claire I don't know if you've ever lost someone close to you but when you lose someone close to you it's really difficult because people get on with their lives and um, and they kind of forget about this massive person that you've lost in your life. But what's been amazing about my mum is that I'm constantly reminded of by people of all the great things she had done before. So that's, I have to say, we're very fortunate like that. Yeah, my dad died um, two years ago, it'll be at the end of this year. So oh, the minute fresh. I saw you break away, I said to myself, he can see her, he can see her, he can hear her. He went right back into that moment. Exactly. And yeah, I do. I, I, I 100% get I it. And anybody will who has lost somebody special to them. And she died in 2014. It's never easy to say goodbye. She had a huge health fight that she overpowered many times. But then finally, you guys had to say goodbye in 2014. Yet, look, as you know from losing your dad, there's never, ever a good time. It doesn't matter what they've been through or, you know, you still feel like, one, you feel a sense of guilt, I guess, because you feel like you always could have done more and you're never ready to say goodbye. Well, maybe, look, maybe some people are, if, if their parents are exceptionally, maybe exceptionally old or have been, been through a, a really traumatic period in their life. But I, it's still, no matter what, it's still very final when someone goes. So we've been... Again, you know, there was amazing tributes poured in for, and um, I remember opening up the paper, I think, the next day, and uh, Patsy McGarry, the religious correspondent in Irish, in Irish Times, wrote something like, a 21st century hero um, has passed, or a 21st century icon has passed, and I thought that was, you know, we're, we're so lucky, again, you're trying to reframe your mindset and think, you know, we're so lucky to have her, we're so lucky to have the relationship we had with her. Uh, she was an amazing mum, and um, first and foremost, and I think that's what really she wanted to be remembered as, an, as an amazing mum, first and foremost. And then, two, that she stood up for what she believed in, and that's what we're probably trying to do in our own way, is stand up um, and, and spread our message. So, really tough time, and, you know, you go through periods where you're fine about it, and then you end up talking about something like today, and you hear a voice, and all of a sudden you're in tears, and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I go, I might see, we used to love going to the theatre together and I might see a sign for a play. It happened to me recently and I was like, oh, I must say that to dad. And I'm like, I can't. 
you know yeah. that that that's when it really Definitely. that's when it can really get you but yeah look we just have to be happy that we had them at all but you didn't jump straight into activism what was your plan then when you were ejected from from school what happened next yeah. well we i went to ucd and i ended up running a society in ucd called the commerce and economic society and it was just fun it was you know it was a way to at the start i wanted to just get involved just to get tickets to some of their events they used to sell out and then we started running nights and a friend of mine uh, was like you look we should do this we should do we should do this and, and it wasn't a career you know running club nights but we said it to one local nightclub and they got us on board and it went well. And we, looked, we, and we were doing anything not to do a nine to five job. So um, my, my folks were both very understanding about it because like their son was like, you know, 20 or 21, um, finished college, got a degree, but all of a sudden was like, got a, got a, got a two one in history and information studies and was running a nightclub, <laughs> running nights. Like they were like, you know, when are you going to get a serious job in some ways? But in other ways, they just let me do my thing. So um i ended up uh running those nights and then running a couple more nights in town and i guess i it's quite a small industry so when you're doing well and you're running good nights other club uh, or other owners of venues would hear about you and they'd say look do you want to run a night with us so we started running different nights um in different places and then we ended up saying look we needed something a bit more consistent um so we ended up working in crystal nightclub on on harcourt street and uh and then i ended up working as head of sales or press up entertainment hospitality group which are you know they're the biggest hospitality group in ireland now when i started there was only a couple of venues now there's probably 80 venues um and they were great they were all great challenges they were all good milestones and a lot of the a lot of the ironically a lot of the corporate contacts i've made over the last 15 years have kind of circled back around to support human collective um, which is something that I didn't really uh, envisage at the start, you know. So we've, we've started doing diversity inclusion talks in Accenture, in Ernest and Young, in Google, uh, BMS, um, Nitro, like tech companies, like uh, HubSpot. All these companies which we would have organised basically nights out for them are now doing diversity inclusion talks with us and workshops with us. And again, that wasn't part of the the strategy. And and Google now are taking Human Collective on as a as a worldwide brand for them in their google store which is amazing so it's i never thought those connections would would come back around and uh there's a there's a real t- real interesting one claire for you i think it's the kind of this principle of reciprocity that i think when you're when you help people out or they help you out subconsciously you, you help them back you know and over the years from working on nightclub doors and letting people in for free or looking after people for their birthday parties whatever it was that it all kind of comes back to you. It's kind of fascinating reciprocity. Like we, we really try and do it in Human Collective where we write people the cards who buy products from us. And um, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty tedious, to be honest with you, because you end up having to write, you know, a couple hundred cards every few months. But it's, it's amazing as well just to show, you know, that we're really genuinely grateful to people trusting in the brand. And um, um, I think there's a lot of, like the biggest difference is I love, my, I love spending time with my family now. So, uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in the nightclub industry anymore because of that, you know. Um, but at the same time, I did love meeting people. You know, I thought that was, I thought to get, to, to be paid to meet and talk to people was just the most amazing job in the world for me, you know, and I loved it. And, uh, and I still do love pe- people coming into the shop. We have a shop up in Sandyford at the moment. We're looking to have a shop and we just got word that we're, we've been offered a shop in Stephen's Green. Um, and, I, and I And you do feel like, I do, I don't know. I do just something really special with people coming in and having a chat with them. Um, we're going to start doing comp free yoga in town. Um, there's a guy on our team, Michael Darren McCauley. He's probably better known for winning eight all Ireland's. Um, but he's going to do yoga for us in town, and it's just going to be a great way just to meet local businesses and, and the local community. And when you look back, you can sort of see the pieces of the jigsaw that you were putting in, be it your background, your family life, your mum's legacy running the club nights. I mean, it's all about people, isn't it, essentially? And you were just kind of piecing it all together. Tell us a bit about the the beautiful family you've you've made for yourself now. Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I met my wife in, in Crystal. And, I, you know, if, truth be told, I did my best to fuck it up. I was, you know, <laughs> I was drinking, probably drinking too much. And, and uh, I was doing working loads of nights and everything. 
But she is like, it sounds so cheesy, Claire, but she's just incredible. I mean, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think I am so blessed that I've met her. And it sounds, genuinely, it sounds so cheesy, but there's no one like her. I mean, she's so supportive in every single way. Um, she helps me out with the business as well because we need that uh, that eye. Um, and she's so she's brilliant with the products. Um, we were we were trying to have kids for for years, and we thought it would be you know get married, have kids, and it just didn't happen. And even now, I still look at the kids and go, I can't believe they're here because you know in total we'd four miscarriages, we'd we'd an atopic pregnancy, and the atopic pregnancy I'd never heard of it before. That was really devastating, um, because you know you've got to get a certain drug to stop the pregnancy and and ultimately um or you'd get your fallopian tubes taken out you know and i thought this was going to be this was just never going to happen and we got tests and more tests and everyone said we were okay like and you know everything was working okay but still things weren't weren't happening and i spoke to a friend it's really important that you speak to people about it because i spoke to a friend a football friend that i wouldn't uh i'd never chat to him about like anything person other than football you know organizing football matches and he and i said um i can't make it you know to this guy carl i said look you know what it's we've had a tough time we just had an atopic pregnancy and he said oh my sister three of them i was like sorry he said my sister three of them and they give you this drug called metatraxite which basically kills the um baby inside i guess and i said your sister three he goes yeah she had the drug metatraxite and she had her two fallopian tubes taken out I said, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't say his name, actually, because maybe it's a private matter. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize your sister had that. And he said, well, it's, um, and she never had kids in the end, and did she not? And he goes, no, she's three beautiful kids, and she's in great form, and she could, life couldn't be better for her. And that made me think, Claire, that when you're in that dark, that really dark moment, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and you know, you stop going to friends' events, you stop going to even like family gatherings in some ways, because you just don't want to be around people talking about their kids or whatever it is, you know, um, you don't think you'll ever get out of there, but then you do get out of there, you know, and I'm not always, not always, not everyone's fortunate enough to get out of there, but a lot of the time you do get out of there. And I think it's a great kind of metaphor that in life, even when things aren't going well in the business or things aren't going well in lots of different ways, that there is light at the end of the tunnel a lot of the time, if you can just get through that tough time. And we did get through it. And now we've got a little boy called Jonah and a little girl called Chrissy after my mum. So my mum's the same as Christine, and we wanted to give some kind of, I guess, nod to her. Um, and she's as fun and as as go crack as my mum was. Uh, and and Joan is a great little lad. I'm like he's he, you know he's I I he came along just when the first lockdown came along, so I was able to spend lots of time with him, which was amazing. Um, so I got him like I playing football from the age of like three months. <laughs> we we're going around, yeah, we're literally lifting Moran with a football carrying around the carpet I think tied a football to his bouncer and uh, he still loves the football which is hilarious and um and Chrissy came along at a time when the business came along so I still feel guilty that I haven't had that same amount of time with her as I did with uh with Jonah um but it's I genuinely it's again it sounds super cheesy but definitely so blessed to have the kids and uh um but I still, I still wouldn't forget the devastation of losing them, of losing the miscarriage and the atopic pregnancy. It's still, you know, I still really feel for people when I hear when someone has had a miscarriage. I still really feel for them because it is, it is tough, especially when you've been trying for a long time. And you're so right. We need to lean into the uncomfortable. Um, even some of the topics that you cover at Human Collective it all falls under the same banner. You know, sometimes it's a bit, oh, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to lean into the uncomfortable? Am I going to share and be vulnerable? And actually there's real power in that. Yeah, you're right. So so when we started up Human Collective, first and foremost, we were like, okay, well, look, we know as a clothing brand, we wanted to be sustainable. So that was just a non-negotiable for us. You know, we wanted it with the highest level of organic um, certification. It's got cert- certification. Um all our clothes are either 100% organic cotton or 85% organic cotton, 15% recycled polyester. But going back, the other non-negotiable was we wanted to give back to charities and we wanted to have a message on our on our, our jumpers. Now, we saw that lots of people do lots of big branding, really strong messaging, and I always thought it cheap in the clothing. And I also thought that not everyone would feel comfortable doing that. So that's why we put the equal sign on our clothing, just to make it very subtle. Um, and, and going back to being uncomfortable, we brought on a, a social psychologist on the team. So a great lady called Momobo. And Momobo, 
she's amazing. I was working on a documentary with her as well, for RT, about discrimination and bias. She was talking about exactly what you were saying there, Claire, about we have to get a little bit uncomfortable in order to make changes. And also, we need to get a bit uncomfortable in order for make people to... If someone says something that's not right, we have to talk to them. We talk about calling in and calling out. Calling out is when people publicly say something. And we found that research would show that it actually doesn't work in a sense that the person doesn't learn from that and they get quite defensive and, and they feel shamed by it. So we talk about calling in and calling in is when you'd have a quiet word about someone and they will feel uncomfortable. And I've had to do it and I feel really uncomfortable as well. So as a person, as a victim, I'd feel uncomfortable. As a person, maybe someone might say something something homophobic. And this happened recently to a friend of mine said something that I've known for like 20 years. And I just turned around to him and I said, I'm calling Peter for now. Peter, you, you can't you can't say that. Like you just that's just not acceptable. And he's like, he was giving out about someone calling him out on it. And I was like, yeah, she was right to call you out. You can't say that. And that made me feel really uncomfortable saying that because I, you know, I've known Peter and he's great fun. And you know, we don't have that type of relationship where we're like giving out to each other in a sense. But I was like, you just honestly, you've got to stop that and take that out of your vocabulary and just look at that where where you've come from. So I said this to to a mobo about this this friend of mine, and she said, look, you got to understand where he's coming from as well. So it gives him a chance to explain well, where are you, where do you get these thoughts from, you know? Because some because sometimes when they get to explain themselves, they realize that it actually doesn't make sense or it's not rational or they've had this thought about someone or a community. It could be the black community, the traveling community, um, the gay community, whatever it is, and they don't really know where it's come from. But then when they break it down, they realize where it's come from. They realize that geez, that doesn't really make sense. I don't know why I thought like that. So being uncomfortable is is making other people feel uncomfortable in a, in, in a, in a nice way of, of saying, look, that's unacceptable. Um, but it gives them an opportunity to understand where, where I'm coming from, but also give them an opportunity to apologize possibly and to say, look, I didn't realize that was offensive. Um, and, and I think that's when those, those little changes can make a big difference down the line. And they're small, insignificant changes in some ways, but they definitely do lead to bigger changes. And I know, for example, four or five years ago, if, some, if that guy had said that about that homophobic comment, I probably would have just let him roll with it. I probably wouldn't have bothered you know, commenting on it. But because now I've bought into Human Collective as much as the team have, as much as our customers have, I feel like I have a duty to stand up and say something. Go, oh, look, that's not right. you know, um, And that's what we're looking for. 
when we're talking about really moving forward and learning, it's like with the kids, you know, if you kind of shout at them, get down off the wall, you know, you don't get as much as when you're going to bed that night and you're like, listen, if you're going to be climbing on walls, you know, it's the, there's a better way ah, for us to handle things. And I never really thought of it that way. You're hundred percent right. And it's difficult because you do, sometimes you do need to, especially if the kids lose your temper for them to know they couldn't do it. But there's definitely something in that, in the idea of having that quiet word. And I've seen it being done really well before. And you're more likely to get when you shout at someone or you say something, you can't say that, blah, blah, they'll come back really strongly as well. But if you can kind of, I guess, as composed as possible, say in a, in a soft way, going, look, that's unacceptable. You can't really say that anymore, you know. Um, or I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of a good example whereby, uh, you know what, I was, in a, I was in a WhatsApp group before and, and someone said something that was homophobic and racist and, one of the it was obviously been that kind of stuff has been said in WhatsApp groups for years, you know. And one of the guys offline took that person aside, and by the way, he's not home. He's 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 not part of the gay community. He's not black, but he was. And I think this is real allyship. Like I'm really fair play to this guy. But he turned around to that guy, took him offline, gave him a ring, and said, "Look, you can't." He said, "Kev, you can't say that anymore. You know, just you got to be really careful. Those comments aren't right." And and in fairness to this guy, Kevin, he put in the group, going, "Guys, I just want to apologize for that." So we, none of us knew that that had happened. And I thought that was a brilliant way to do it. It gave him the opportunity to apologize in the WhatsApp group. And it made him look pretty cool in a way of going, look, hands up, that wasn't fair, lads. That wasn't right. Apologies about that. And, and he wasn't. And I think if the guys had publicly said it to him in the group, he would have got defensive or it would have just been a weird buzz in the group, you know. Um, and I, So I thought this, this guy handled that really well, you know. And again, when, when, when a subject matter doesn't affect you and you stand up, I think that is so impressive, you know, um, and I think that's real allyship because you've really gone out of your way. You and and it's an it is an uncomfortable conversation without doubt. It's an uncomfortable call. No one wants to make that call. No one wants to receive that call. No one wants to be known as racist or homophobic, especially these days. Um, but I think that that was that was a great example of what to do. Yeah, and then what kind of world do we want to be a part of? I think there was certainly many of us maybe in outside of the white community but that's where i can speak from after the death of george floyd who would have said oh, i would never be racist in a million years but that's not enough it's not enough for you to just passively sit back and say well well i'm not doing anything and i've been prepping for an interview that's taken place later on in the week um and it's by an incredible lady, Shayi Akawowo, and she received a lot of racist hate online. And she's talking about preparing ourselves um, for this digital landscape that we found ourselves in. And, you know, she's saying if four out of 10 people receive abuse online and only one percent are giving it, that means the large majority, that 59 percent aren't doing anything. They're the good people. Yeah if you want. And, you know, it's not good enough for us to just passively sit back. We have to bring that power together. The ones who aren't engaging in the so-called bad behavior, whether it be the homophobia, the racism, whatever form of human abuses are out there, we need to use our voices and stand yeah, up and speak yeah. out. I heard a great footballer in England called Tyrone Ming say, if you're doing nothing about it, you're part of the problem. It's quite a strong line to come out with. It was around, yeah. So George Floyd passed away on the, the 25th of May, 2020. And, and genuinely, the, I felt like the whole world came together for the first time. And the black community, I mean, my brother went for counselling about it. I know other friends who went for counselling. They'd never met this guy. He lived miles, thousands of miles away from us. But they were really affected by it. And it gave everyone a voice in a sense to talk for the first time and to express things and to look back on things that upset them in the past and they probably hadn't stood up. And I think the black community, like we're not, we're not, we're, we're, we're standing up for the first time together as a, as a community, because I don't say, I don't look at, I, I believe there's only one race, the human race. So I'm not, I'm not saying, I wouldn't say as a race because there were only, there's only one race, the human race. I think people have been, and people like Trump and these type of people, they've already made you feel like there's, there's divisions, the Mexicans and Asians and black people, they're all like different races, you know, and even going back years and years, gay people were, and, and, since, and still in some African countries, 
gay gay people are seen as less than human. You know, it's you're, it's criminalized. I believe that first of all, there's only one race, the human race, and that message has to really be be put out there. And then, and secondly, in terms of what you're saying there about um, negative speech. What you need is you, real allyship and real change comes when, when people who are not affected by a subject step up. And I met these two amazing girls that work for a tech company and they did a walk for, for change. And again, they were from Scandinavia and they, were, they put up so much literature on allyship and how change happens. And I know that a lot of their friends then supported them on it. And it's those little changes that make a difference. But they have to be small changes in a sense, Claire, because you can't expect someone overnight to change about th- things completely. But it's those little subtle changes that, that will make a difference. Like racism has been around for a couple of hundred years. It's not going to die or disappear overnight. And the other thing, which is which is fascinating, this is more for a social psychologist, is when you get that massive support for the black community, which there was at the time when George Floyd passed away, you get this swing back where, you, and you've probably seen it, a lot of like racism comes out of the woodwork. So a lot of people who are really extremists, they come out and they want their voice said. And it's, it's, it's always happened in history as well. Like history has repeated itself in lots of ways whereby there's this huge empathy for a community and everyone talks about it. And then it's like, maybe, maybe there's a natural fatigue in, in humanity where they've like, enough's enough. We've heard about the black thing now. That's part. We've, we've done our thing. It, it, you just see this massive kind of, and you've seen, you saw it with like even the when when Trump supporters stormed the White House there, you know, and it was that it was it was just boiling over there, and and you see like the Black Lives Matter movement was a real support, 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 and then all of a sudden like it's all lives matter, you know, and then it's like blue lives matter, the police lives matter, that that kind of backlash, which is always fascinating to see why why it always turns that way, you know, um, and sometimes the change you can see is gradual, you know, and it's going to be your kids and my kids that might feel it more than we did. And we have to be patient enough for that, I suppose, don't we? And realize that that's what you're being a part of. It's it's not just all going to fix overnight because I find even the news cycle is quite upsetting, like Black Lives Matter. It's all over the front pages. And then like the waves, it just the tide goes back out. Same with Ukraine everywhere. And now it just doesn't get shared in the same way or talked about in the same way, even though it's still going on. And if not anything, it, 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 it's getting worse. Um, and that just seems to be how we handle these things and handle these conversations. But I suppose, I, I mean, I'll ask you this question. How do you remain hopeful and keep that motivation? Is it because of the positive change you are seeing, even with the workshops you're you're doing and and the feedback you're getting that you're you are seeing change yeah you know when you're stuck in the day-to-day of the business claire and it's sometimes you forget uh you forget what you're doing the, the change you're making and and it's really important yes it's a great question because you're it's really important that you do reflect back on that so like one company sent us in they did um, a survey after and they sent us in all the positive comments from one of our talks and like we actually, we should, we haven't, we should stick it up in the office because that is incredible commentary from people, you know. We've, we've done a lot of these talks and, they, and, and companies give us testimonials, which is lovely, but this company gave us real insight into what people said about it and it was amazing and to think that people's lives had changed. So when you talk of, like, I was walking down um, my local neighborhood recently and a woman came up to me and I said, I sent an email that night to the team about it because I couldn't believe it. She and I, to be honest with you, I, I was really blown away. And like some of the stuff, so she came up to me. She's in HR. I don't know the name of the company she's in. She goes, Connor, I've been following you on Instagram. Now this lady must be in her late fifties. And uh, I said, Oh, really? Thanks, mate. I don't actually don't know her name to be honest with you. Um, and and she said, um, What you've done is incredible. Okay, sorry, I do know her name. Her name is Ruth. Okay. Um, she goes, well, What you've done is incredible. It's like your team are changing the world. And I was blown by that. Like I was, I was just, I was like. Like I, I, I'd never thought about it like that. I, I don't think the team have ever thought about it like that. Because your team are brilliant. It's like they're trying, they're, they're changing the world, and I don't think we're going to change the world. You know, I wouldn't be never get that. Like I, I'm ambitious, but I'm not that ambitious. Um, but we are trying to make little subtle changes to people's to people's uh, the way people think. You know, and we we take a little bit of inspiration by and um, this. He's a behavioral scientist called Robert Caldini. 
Claire, and he talks about the principle of consistency, okay? And people like to be consistent with their beliefs. For example, me me setting up Human Collective and then someone says a homophobic comment, of course I'm not going to let them person say that. I'm not going to stand by and listen to that, okay? So that's on a, on a real, on, a, on, a, on, a, on an obvious level. But on, they did an experiment where they asked people to erect a sign in their driveway saying drive safely, okay? And you can imagine if someone came up to your, your house, Claire, and they said to you, look, would you mind putting an ugly signpost saying drive safely in your driveway? You'd probably say no. And everyone said no. So then they went to a similar neighborhood down the road and they said, would you mind putting a postcard in your window saying drive safely? And I think everyone agreed to do it. It was like 95% of people agreed to do it, okay? So they went back to the neighborhood who agreed to put in the small postcard in their window saying drive safely and said, now that you've put the small postcard in your drive in your driveway or in your window saying drive safely, would you mind erecting the sign in your driveway? And 40% of people agreed to do it. So in one neighborhood, similar demographic of people, said no, and another neighbor, 40% of the people said yes. And why was that? Well, they realized because they'd already made a small commitment. So we're saying when you make a small commitment to something, which might be listening to this podcast today, or might be watching a documentary like the 13th, or reading a book, well, it could be about anything, any type of prejudice or discrimination, you've kind of bought into it in some ways. And obviously from what we're trying to do with our clothing is, um, when you're wearing the T-shirt and you're wearing the jumper, you're less likely, because you're, you're basically saying you're standing up for equality, wearing this in a way, you're less likely when a situation presents itself to not stand up because you've already made a small commitment to something. So those little small commitments, I believe, are what are going to make the difference. And I think you're absolutely right. I think our, our kids will have a, a much stronger focus and a much more passionate focus on it. I just don't think they'll put up with it. And it won't be, you can already see in WhatsApp groups that the language and the, the kind of commentary, especially the the, the sexist, you know, um, misogynistic type of language that would have been that WhatsApp group five years ago. You really put that stuff up now and you're just a bit of a moron, you know, that way. So um, you can see changes happen already. So what was the moment then? Um, we spoke about your jigsaw a minute ago. When did you have the idea that this is what you were going to do? I think it was George Floyd passing away, to be honest, on that 25th of May. And we, we worked desperately hard to launch the brand by 2021 may on his anniversary to have our, our stock ready for that like we we worked so hard on it and one of the girls who was a consultant with us at the time was like oh god if we don't have it out in 25th of may god i don't know if it's worth doing and this type of thing and i was like do you know what the mad thing about humanity is the situation will present itself again so of course we've missed this huge milestone we wanted to have it out for that date but actually you can see by Ukraine, you know, you can, there's so many things happening in the world that unfortunately the situation will present so, send itself again. So Human Collective isn't just for George Floyd. It isn't just for Pride Month in June. It's 365 days a year because we have to live it every day of the year in order for people to change, you know. And and we to be honest, the greatest thing I've learned is that companies, and I'm talking about companies because we do a lot of work with them, but people in general, they don't want it to be just that time of the year. Like we, we sell pride t-shirts, by the way. We sell t-shirts that have the pride. So again, it's always very subtle with the pride colors and we still have people buying them, which I think is great to see because they know it's called the pride tea and they know pride's over in June. But we when we had one group of people that bought 50 t-shirts last week um, for their staff. So they're still pushing the message on, which is amazing. And I think that's what has to happen that people keep up because if you're, if you're, if you're not doing anything, as this guy, this footballer said, you're part of the problem. And as you, and, and it's not good enough just to be not say I'm not racist. You need to be anti-racist. You know, you have to be nearly um, anti-racist in a sense that you are completely uh, not tolerant of any type of discrimination like that. Oh, by the way, on discrimination, I think this is important because I'm sounding quite preachy here. And look, we all have bias, natural bias in our mind. That's what actually makes the human human people that's why we how we've evolved that's how we've survived so we all have we all have a tendency to discriminate and that's okay in 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 lots of ways because that's how we were able to know our tribes uh, uh, grow uh, as we as we evolved but what's really important is when we have these thoughts in our mind about a community they were able to recognize wait a second why do i have that thought about this community 
why is that? Have I heard something on the radio about it? Have I read something in the paper about it? Has it just what 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 how have they been represented to me? And when you realise that, then you realise, okay, well maybe this has been quite unfair. Or maybe I had a family member, a mother or a dad who said something about them growing up and that's just stuck in my head. Or maybe my granny referred to them in some way to, to a community. So the bias is we're only human to have that. Every single one of us has that, including me. And I have to check myself as well, by the way. I think, why did I think like that? Or, you know, why did I, why, why did I say that in the past? So that's all normal. But what we want to try and do is navigate around that and, and realize, okay, the reason I said that is because of this. And you know what? I am not giving that person a fair chance. And the biggest thing I think is in employment, when people are looking to hire people, you know, and they think, because you've worked with just white people all your life, well, the natural, you feel like the safety, psychological safety is to work with another white person because you know what they're like. But actually, we know and studies show that working with diverse people lead to diverse ideas. Do you understand diverse markets, which is really important because your market's made of diverse people. And then when you understand those diverse markets, you're more likely to connect with them as well. So, um, Diversity in the workplace is really important. If you've got diverse friends, you can understand the world is just so much more of a bigger place, you know. And um, there's something, there's something in that. I, I remember, like, so I look at some of my really close friends and guys that have really stood up for me in the past, and um, I look at them. One of the guys, a great guy, his name's his name's Brian O'Malley, and I ran the, one of the clubs with him for ten years. And I remember he kicked out a guy who said something racist to my mum one night. And Crystal, my mum came in one night, and he he kicked her out of the venue. He kicked his he kicked him out of the venue. He didn't kick my mum out. And and uh, I was talking to him because he was talking about this. He was just talking about this particular private school, and he said they were all coming out with these kind of racist jokes or whatever. And I said, "Why do you think that is?" He wasn't laughing, and he was like, "Our oh, lads, will you grow up?" He said. And this was a couple of years ago. And he said, you know what? Because they just don't have any diverse friends. So they actually are so close-minded that they've never grown up the way we grew up together, 14 or 15, we started hanging around each other. So in a way, as soon as we started hanging around each other and he started staying over in my house and I stayed over in his house, he got to meet my family or whatever it was. So he's already, he's bought into it in a sense of being an ally in a way, you know? And he goes, they just didn't have that exposure. So I think it's really important that actually families, um, we talk about intercultural uh, we talk about multi, like Ireland is made up of so many multicultural people, but actually just to be multicultural, multicultural Ireland isn't, and we have to be careful of that because it's, it's not okay to exist together, Claire. You actually have to be assimilated in a way. So what's happened, like, for example, I, I met a group out in Blanchardstown and they were saying that the, the black guys in school and the white guys in school hang around each other and they play blacks against whites and they walk home together and they listen to different music. And that's not a good thing. They need to assimilate. And and what I mean by that is when, when this guy, Brian, he, cause he, he wouldn't put up with those racist comments that these lads said because he, he had a friend who was part of a minority, who was part of the black community, you know? And, and sometimes if you're not exposed to that, that you're never going to have that empathy in a sense, you know? Um, and I guess sometimes it does come back to empathy, Claire. And, and empathy isn't pity. We kind of think of empathy as pity. Empathy is just understanding other people and at the start of the show we talked about my mum my having empathy and she was able to try and put myself into those person's shoes that didn't have a Christmas didn't have a family to spend together and that's what that's what it's really about um having a type of having an empathy and, and stopping yourself for one minute and go look put yourself in that other person's shoes and it's difficult and as you said it's uncomfortable you know it is uncomfortable um because you've got to it takes more work like one of the guys on my team, and you know him, Paddy Smith. He's a he's a huge fan of yours, Claire. And he was he was told before by work Pete, by by a company, look, it's more work to have you here, so we're just not going to hire you because we've got to think a lot more <laughs> to have you here, you know. Um, yeah, because he, he's he's got a, a disability, so he, you know yeah, everything functions at one hundred and ten percent with Paddy. It has to be said, but his legs just don't move as quickly as others. That's literally it, and he yeah. gets around on crutches. And to just not be able to get ahead. And thankfully, he just pushed through all of that and broke down all those barriers and thought, why do I only see my community represented on charity posters? Why am not I in a beauty campaign? Why am not I seen heading off to a festival? Because that's who I am. Yeah, um, and he just he's blown my mind. He's been a guest on this podcast as well. And you're right. It's when you hit that brick wall and, and no minority group wants to be pitied. They want to be equal. Yeah. And, and that's where the allyship comes in and the empathy. We need to do away with helping these people and just exactly. standing shoulder to shoulder for a change. 
How does it feel then to be living this life now, to have found your purpose and to be living and breathing it? Well, what's really nice, Claire, is the kindness of people. Because genuinely, I don't know if we'd be we'd be able to keep going without that. And what I mean by that is it's not just customers buying the clothing, which has been amazing. It's the kind words. It's the people giving you. So we have a pop-up shop in Sandyford, people giving us that rent-free. There's been, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that companies, I never realized this, but and I don't know if you're familiar with it. Okay. It's called environmental social governance, ESG. And a lot of these big funds, okay. They have to be seen to be supporting businesses that are environmentally friendly and obviously we're sustainable and that have a social message. And obviously we've got a real social message. Um, so we, we've got companies reaching out to us, being really kind, saying, look, we want to get you in this shopping center. We want to get you in this building. And it's, it's important for them to do that. So the world has really changed like that. So where I was speaking to a really senior person in a, in a big property company and they were like, human collective is amazing for us. We want you. Like they, they want us to be part of their their shopping center it's important for them to be seen to be supporting a business like ours which just didn't exist so we you need those you need those wins those small victories claire because it's a tough road i mean we got a call there yesterday from our organic supplier and he says prices are going up by 10 percent we did a we did a call with portugal there last week and they said these prices that we gave you which were astronomical are going to increase in the next two weeks. If you want to order, you'll have to order in the next two weeks. And that wasn't a sales tactic. The price of our organic cotton and materials is just flying up. So, like, it's there's every day, there's difficulties, there's challenges, you know. Um, and uh, the summer can be a really tough time, you know. So, you need you need those small victories. And like, even you having me on today, like that, every every everything really helps, Claire. Like, it really does. So, um. I love the idea that we're building something that's never, in some ways, I don't think any other brand has done this before, you know, because social justice isn't a very sexy, aspirational business and to try and combine it with clothing has never really been done. So I think, I think it's what we're doing is, is really new. That's really exciting. I'm learning those. We have a deadly team, we have a brilliant head of operations. I'm learning from her, brilliant marketing person. I'm learning from, learning from her. We've got Paddy Smith. I'm learning from him. He's head of our community. He's amazing. You know, um, we've got a great fashion fashion consultant on board, Kira Hughes, learning from her. There's just there's so many great people on the team that, that I'm learning from. So, so no matter what, I feel like we're always making progress. Um, but you still need those little victories like you need everything because it's just a tough industry. <laughs> well, you've given me chills several times and this has been an ultimately uplifting conversation. I really feel like change is being mate it's incredible work you're doing your kids are so small i'm sure they are proud of you i'm sure they absolutely adore you um it's great work that you're doing they are going to be very proud and i reckon your mum really would be too i'm sure somewhere she's peppered in all of that and around to see everything you're doing keep doing it thank you so much for talking to me today thanks so much claire Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.